hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on the King's Crowd Startup Investing Podcast. Uh, we are very fortunate to be joined here today by Vin Narayanan, the VP of Strategy here at King's Crowd. Um, we are going to be having, I think, a pretty interesting conversation today. Uh, one of the strategies that I often talk about at King's Crowd is investing in what you know. Um, a lot easier not to be duped when you actually know what you're talking about and you know the sector that you're trying to invest in. Um, and while Vin is working with us here at King's Crowd, he has an incredibly interesting career background. And one of those areas, both of interest and career, um, is in kind of the casino gambling space. Um, and so today we're going to be talking with him about that area, as well as learning about some exciting investment opportunities he's seeing in this market. So with that, Vin, thanks for uh, being on the podcast here today. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. And Warren Buffett would be proud of you. Uh, <laughs> invest, invest in what you know is his, is, is his big thing. And it's part of why he skipped out on the tech boom, even though everyone was making a ton of money off of it. There you go. You know, and Warren's still doing all right. So maybe following his lead isn't the worst thing to do. Not the worst <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> so Vin, uh, for those that don't know, obviously I, I've gotten to know you over the past couple of years here and had a lot of fun learning about uh, kind of your career and interest in the world of kind of online gambling and even in-person gambling. Um, can you tell us about uh, your background in this world and how you kind of got into it? Yeah, it was it, it was pretty weird. Uh, so I, I I was in the mainstream media for a long time, and my job in the mainstream media was actually building internet businesses uh, and taking newsrooms and bringing them online and launching new verticals and just being a startup entrepreneur within that mainstream business. Now I did it for big companies, but you know, still we were basically startups within that environment, and you know you know, as you know, Chris, startups are all about disruption. And when you're disrupting a big company, the same way you're disrupting a big industry, it creates all sorts of headaches and stuff that goes with it. But online media, online news environment, you know, it's 365 days a year in terms of coverage, 24 seven, uh, it gets pretty intense. Uh, and I, you know, a, after doing that for a good 10, 12 years, I was like, all right, I, I need a break. And so I went and this was right around the time the online poker boom was happening. And, you know, people might remember Chris Moneymaker, you know, qualified for the World Series of Poker on Poker Stars and ends up winning uh, the World Series of Poker main event. And he becomes a big story and everyone starts playing poker. And I was like, yeah, you want to know what? This is kind of interesting. I like playing poker. I've always liked playing poker. It'd be cool to write about online poker for a little while. And so uh, I went and became, uh, you know, I, I went to run uh, or help run a company that uh, was uh, in the casino business, but, but they were, it was publications. They were gathering data, sort of the way King's Crowd gathers data about startups. They gather data about the casino industry uh, and they gather data about the online casino industry and the land-based casino industry, brick and mortar and online. And I was like, all right, this sounds like cool. As long as I get to write a little bit about poker and spend some time in Vegas, I thought I'd be happy. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and that's how I got into it. And a few days after I got there, not a few days, but a couple months, after I got there, there were a bunch of regulatory changes that happened. Uh, and all of a sudden, online poker went from this like sort of fun, friendly thing I was going to be writing about to all of a sudden, I was full-fledged in the middle of the online 
casino industry and the land-based uh, casino industry as an operations person, as a marketing person, as a consultant, all of this sort of stuff. So I went from, you know, sort of building one sort of business, online media businesses, to building a completely different set of businesses, just completely unexpectedly. Uh, and so my nice vacation uh, lasted like a couple months. Uh, and I think I might have written two or three poker stories in that month. Uh, but it was cool. Uh, I got to do cool things like cover the World Series of Poker. Uh, but I also got to do all sorts of other interesting things like travel to Europe and spend a lot of time uh, building uh doing online marketing uh, for European casinos uh, because online gambling is huge in Europe uh, and was on much legally firmer grounds than it was in the U.S. at the time. Uh, and so we took you know, we took a business that was largely U.S. facing and turned it into a European facing business where, uh, you know, we figured out how to market online. It's called affiliate marketing. Uh, and for those people that don't know, affiliate marketing probably represents about 60% of the web. So just imagine if you search and say, all right, I want to create a website. What are the best websites, uh, web uh, uh, places to host a website? Almost all the returns are going to be here are the top 10 places you can host a website and you'll have Squarespace and you'll have Namecheap and all the others. And then you click a link, you sign up for an account. Well, when you click that link and sign up for an account, whoever put that website together that listed the 10 best places to host a website, they just got some money. Uh, and it works that way if you're buying a laptop and you say, you know, what, what what's the best laptop I can do to go on Zoom? Uh, and then, you know, you, CNET comes up with 10 laptop reviews and you click a link on CNET and you go, you buy it. Well, when you buy that laptop, CNET just got 20, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is. Uh, same thing for, you know, places that do book reviews. You go to Amazon to buy it. Well, you just, whoever sent you there just got five, 10 bucks. Uh, the most lucrative aspect of the affiliate marketing business is online gambling. Uh, and online gambling in Europe, you're gonna get 25 to any, anywhere from 25 to 45% of the revenue that player generates ends up in your pocket. Hmm. Uh, and so if you refer a player that does $100,000 in a month, uh, you, you just made yourself 45,000 uh, bucks if, if you deliver a whale. Uh, and so the math sort of works out. Uh, you know, the average lifetime value of an online casino player is in the 1,200 bucks uh, range. And so if you're getting, you know, 50% of that, that's 600 bucks. And yeah, what people, that's pretty good. Yeah, well, what, that's pretty good. And what people don't know about the gambling business, and it doesn't matter whether it's online gambling or brick and mortar, and I've worked in both, uh, is uh, is uh, that it's a low volume business. Uh, so sports betting, for example, uh, four to 7% on the margins. Uh, on a bad month, your margins are negative. You've lost money. On a good month, you might get into double digits, 10 to 12%. It is not a high margin business. Everyone assumes gambling is a high margin business. It isn't. Gambling is a very low margin business. So the idea is you get a bunch of people in. Uh, it's, it's, it's based on volume. How many people can you get in the door, either at the casino or online? How many people can you get in the door and how do you keep them coming in? So the casino business is all about acquiring new customers. 
Uh, and so when you think about it that way, casinos are to a certain degree commodities. Everyone thinks of them as money printing businesses. Casino executives don't think of themselves as money printing businesses. They think of, they know they're a commodity. So they have to focus on how do you, how do you differentiate a commodity? Uh, and you do it in different ways. Uh, so in Las Vegas, for example, they've done it by turning it into an experience. Right. How do you provide the best experience? Uh, 50, about most Las Vegas resorts right now, 50% of their revenue comes from gaming and 50% comes from non-gaming, restaurants, well, it, spas, hotels, everything. It, it's funny, Vin, it, I was just thinking about how the fact that you and I actually met, or I think one of the first times we met in person yep. was in Vegas at Money 2020. Yep. Um, and what was it? Uh, Sheldon Adelson was one of the, the first movers to create just these mega conference centers attached to the, uh, the casinos so that you could get in. 20, 30,000 people going to an event and then hopefully spending money at the restaurants and the gambling and all of that type of stuff. Yeah. And most people don't know Sheldon Adelson transformed Las Vegas. So Sheldon Adelson ran this big convention called Comdex. Uh, this was before he got into the casino business and it was his idea to turn Las Vegas into a convention town. Sheldon Adelson didn't care whether you whether you gambled or not. He cared whether you came to his hotel or not. Uh, because mm. if he came to his hotel and you came to his convention center, you were spending money at the convention, you're spending on the money on the convention. He was able to charge people who hosted conventions uh, an arm and a leg to do, do it. And then he had all these restaurants and these bars, and then he had the casino on top of that. And so he was capturing all of these dollars. Uh, I coined a term, you know, back in or 210, 211, because so every, everyone cared about gambling revenue. I never cared about gambling revenue. I cared about wallet share. I wanted to increase wallet share. So my goal was always been, all right, how do I get more money out of you? I don't care whether it's restaurant. I don't care whether it's on a massage, uh, you know, you know, you know, at the spa. I don't care if it's by a haircut at the barbershop. I don't care whether it's at a bowling alley. My goal is to get more money out of your wallet. So as long as I'm doing my job, I'm increasing my wallet share. I don't need to increase my share of gambling revenue. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think you are kind of seeing that transformation where they're starting to invest in things outside of the gambling experience. But one of the things I was really interested to talk to you about, obviously we've seen, you know, the rise of DraftKings, you know, they went public during the pandemic. They've done pretty well. Um, you know, I think FanDuel, I forget if they're trying to merge or what have you. Um, and then you're seeing the likes of MGM and whatnot actually buy up online gambling businesses. So can you talk to us about what in the regulatory environment is changing that's leading to these online businesses being possible and how far do we still have to go? All right, so we've, we've had basically three changes in the regulatory environment. So the first change came in a few years back in sort of like the 2015 realm. I might have the year wrong, but it doesn't matter. Uh, is the, the, the idea was the Wire Act change, uh, is that the, they decided the Wire Act only applied to sports betting. Uh, and so th that was the first change is it's like, all right, if it only applies to sports betting, then states are allowed to offer online casinos and online poker rooms, 
and, and, and they're like, all right, that's legal. So states that already had casinos started considering this. And New Jersey was the first to jump in full, full, full with both feet and say, yeah, you want to know what? This is a great source of new revenue for the state. Uh, and uh, let's go ahead and allow the casinos uh, that are in Atlantic City to offer this, get it taxed and do this. And it took off. And when it took off in New Jersey, Pennsylvania adopted it and they got online casinos and, uh, you know, Nevada's uh, started do doing stuff uh, with online sports betting uh, and it took off. So then there was another regulatory change that said, hey, sports betting is now allowed to happen. So you don't have to, uh, you know, sports betting doesn't have to be just the realm of Nevada anymore. It doesn't have to be just the realm of, there was this law called PASPA. And it was found to be unconstitutional, which meant each individual state could offer sports betting. So now it's up to states to do it. And mm. more than 20 states have legalized uh, sports betting at this time. And that's what you're seeing now with DraftKings and FanDuel and, you know, BetMGM and all this sort of stuff is they're going from state to state saying, all right, let's legalize sports betting. Let's offer, uh, uh, let's offer sports betting. And sports betting sort of been the holy grail in the US. Uh, it's been legal for a long time in Europe, but everyone wants to bet on sports. Uh, yeah. And people want to bet on sports more than they want to play poker online. People want to bet on sports more than they want to go to a casino. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest, I mean, the Super Bowl and the NCAA tournament are two of the biggest gambling events in the United States. And it's all been unregulated black market gambling. Yeah. That tournament pool that everyone fills out. Yes, that's gambling. Uh, yes, <laughs> it, it really is gambling. Yes, you put in five bucks, you, 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 put, you put in the brackets, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, it, it, it's gambling. And so all of this money that's sort of been gambled illegally throughout the country is now surfacing and coming to the forefront. And you're seeing billions of dollars gambled uh, in mm. all of these different states. The funny thing is, though, is that, you know, from a profit standpoint, it's only millions of dollars of profits, uh, because you're talking about four to seven percent holds. Uh, and that four to seven percent is, you know, before you cut out operations and that sort of stuff. So the actual net is a, is, is a lot smaller. Uh, mm. But that's what you're seeing is you're seeing all of this stuff go on. And now as people see sports betting pop, uh, move from state to state legalized, what people realize is like, oh, wow, sports betting doesn't generate as much revenue as we thought it was going to. Maybe we legalize the online casino and online poker, which is a lot more profitable in sports betting. And then the states will get even more revenue from that. So you're starting to see that happen. Interesting. And you know, one of the other kind of phenomena of probably the, the last decade, obviously it's been around for a long time, but fantasy sports has just become such a huge thing. And today, you know, the Yahoo fantasy sports platform, all of these things, while actually relatively profitable for those businesses, they can't involve gambling or, or really betting on it. Maybe there's pools or what have you, but well, now they're opening up an opportunity to be able to do that, right? Yeah, so th th there, there are actually two parts of it. So let's go back to sort of where my career started, where I started talking about, you know, sort of the digital marketing and affiliate marketing. I eventually moved into operations 
uh, and, and strategic consulting for all of these different groups. And so daily fantasy sports was one of those areas where I consulted in. Right. Uh, and uh, in, in fact, a good friend of mine wrote a book on how to gamble on daily fantasy sports. And so I used to, I used to, I, I'm, I'm quoted extensively in the hockey section. Uh, but I, I but daily people were able to bet on daily fantasy sports was another form of gambling. Now people said it wasn't gambling, and I was one of those people who said, "No, you're you're, you're betting." <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but instead of betting on games, you're betting on the performance of players. Uh, and so uh, daily fantasy sports is is there in my mind is, is a form of betting. But what people believed was sort of a proxy uh, for sports betting, mm. uh, and then all these daily fantasy sports bettors would end up sports betting. And I think some of that's turned out to be the case. Uh, a lot of daily fantasy sports has moved into sports betting, but fantasy sports has its own culture. Uh, and a lot of people are still playing fantasy sports as, as a result. And so I think daily fantasy sports was sort of a stepping stone uh, to it is it's like, all right, we, we went from fantasy sports being this sort of fun community thing that everyone did and bet on, but no one talked about the betting because it was just entry fees to daily fantasy sports being, you know, betting on fantasy sports, but everyone was okay with fantasy sports. So it sort of became okay to bet on fantasy sports. And that's where FanDuel and DraftKings got its thing. But FanDuel and DraftKings always had their eye on sports betting. And as soon as sports betting was legalized, DraftKings and FanDuel moved into that realm. So obviously a lot going on uh, in the world of online gambling. I'm absolutely fascinated by it. Um, a bit of a social experiment as well, I guess. But would love to chat with you about some of the investment opportunities you've seen in this space that are currently available to investors on platforms like you know Republic and Nick Capital and Seed Invest, et cetera. Are there any ones right now that are interesting to you? Yeah, there, there's one on Seed Invest called uh, Fantasy Sports Co. Uh, and... So they're a really interesting company because, I, I, I mean, the, the way I like to think about it is uh, they build apps to make betters better betters, and that's like a terrible str uh, string of words, uh, string of words. So let's make it better. But just think about it: is uh, baseball had Moneyball, uh, and so they brought in advanced metrics into making uh, into making better baseball teams. Uh, how do you get better pitchers? How do you get better batters? How do you build a better organization? Uh, you know, is you know, is hitting home runs better than bunting and all this sort of stuff? And there's a lot of controversy surrounding it, but there's no doubt that it worked. Uh, and hmm. if you're interested in sort of that sort of thing, go back and read the book Moneyball or even watch the movie Moneyball uh, and, and you'll, get, you'll get a sense of it. Uh, what Fantasy Sports Co. is building is Moneyball for betters, uh, for gamblers. Uh, and so they started off building out a horse, a horse racing app. Uh, and so people could use that and they could figure out, all right, I don't do so well on this sort of bet. Maybe I ought to stop making it. Uh, and, and, uh, and then, but then they would also make just accessing horse racing metrics a lot easier. So you can make a more informed bet. You know, what horses do better in this situation? What horses do better in this situation? And if you use the app, you just become a much better wager when it comes to horse racing. And from there, they took that sort of same knowledge and they moved it into fantasy sports. 
How do you set your daily fantasy sports lineup in the most optimal way? Uh, and how do you see what everyone else is picking? It's like, all right, I don't want the same lineup everyone else is, because if I have the same lineup everyone else is, I'm not going to make any money. Uh, but how do I come up with a different lineup that's still going to get me the same sort of returns? Yeah. Uh, and and go through that. And so they built that app and now they're going into sports betting. But what I love about them is they're doing two parts. One is they're doing affiliate marketing in sports betting, which I talked about earlier. Sports betting companies have to find new customers. That is their lifeblood. Uh, and they're going to help them find better customers by doing two things. One is cash back, like Rakuten. Uh, is uh, they're, they're going to be offering cash back on bets. So you can get up to 10% of your cash back on wagers. Look, Discover mm -hmm. built an entire business, uh, credit card business on cash back. I mean, to me, this is just a really smart play. It's also really hard to do because you have to get licensed everywhere sports betting is licensed and you have to. And so there's a regulatory moat there that's really defensible. Most people don't want to give up parts of their commission. Well, they're giving up parts of their commission to do cash back. So most affiliate marketers aren't going to want to go down that route either. Uh, and, and so there's a regulatory hurdle. There's a business model uh, mo uh, that's there. And then well, cash back is just a proven model uh, in terms of building out customers. It doesn't matter whether you're in the retail space or in the credit card space uh, and that sort of thing. And then operators don't like doing cash back either. Uh, so they're not going to be competing with DraftKings and FanDuel's because DraftKings and FanDuel and, uh, you know, MGM, uh, Golden Nugget, you name it, they like doing free bets. And mm -hmm. free bets is something where they say, all right, we'll give you this money to wager. So half the time they're not paying out. So they're not actually giving out a lot of money to begin with. And then usually you get strings attached uh, with a free bet. It's like, all right, you won this free bet, but now you've got to bet it like five more times before you can actually claim it. Uh, and th there are all sorts of strings involved. So it's a good way to do it. But then they're also providing advanced metrics. They're going to be giving you, yeah, you're not really good when you bet the Yankees. You might want to stop doing that. Uh, or yeah, you're just stop picking Giants games. Just don't do that. Or it's like, yeah, you're really good when you pick the Raiders. Uh, you, you seem to know what you're doing. And then they're also going to be doing advanced metrics on, you know, you know, just data insights into helping predict games and that sort of thing. So and will there be a like a premium subscription for that or yeah, will that be yeah, pretty easy? Yeah, well, that's the other cool thing is yes, it's, it's premium subscriptions. They got multiple models monetization levels they've got the actual cash back where they're mm -hmm. getting the affiliate revenue from and then they they're going to have an additional subscription service on getting the advanced metrics so they're actually going to be able to monetize on two different levels plus they have an existing user base to mar market to that already mm -hmm. likes them uh of 500,000 customers so when you combine all of that sort of stuff uh it makes it really smart the other thing i really like about them is two affiliates have been recently acquired for big bucks uh, Vizen got acquired, I think, for like $100 million, and then the Action Network got acquired for $300 or $400 million. And so when you take a look at a $19 million valuation, uh, there's really good acquisition possibilities uh, down the line. And I think they have the capability of being bigger than the Action Network or Vizen. Uh, just from a sheer affiliate model. And then when you th throw in uh, the extra uh, monthly recurring revenue, they can get all the subscription base. Uh, th they could get acquired for, for some serious money. So I really like uh, Fantasy Sports Co. as a play. I think it's a really smart play. Interesting. Um, some might say, 
the, uh, you know, getting in at the ground floor, like getting in early on a DraftKings or something like that, all companies that have done exceptionally well. Funny enough, one of our, um, a couple of our, our larger investors, I think one of the reasons they may have had some disposable income was because of the DraftKings IPO and having been very, very early investors in that. Um, so really yeah. unique opportunity. Thanks for, for servicing that for us. Um, anything else that for investors who are thinking about, okay, this is a really interesting space. Now I get it a bit more, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the company that you talked about, but for anyone who's thinking about kind of putting some dollars to work in this market and finding startups that are playing in this space, um, anything else that people should consider as risks and downsides and things they, they should know before getting involved? Yeah. So here's what you have to know about the gambling industry is that high volume, low margins. Uh, and so the actual online betting experience is a commodity. So what you're looking for is companies that are going to add value to the ecosystem. Uh, and so it is really hard. I mean, if, if you think about DraftKings and FanDuel, what did they have going for them? They had one thing going for them, which was a first mover advantage. Uh, they, they built up an audience uh, through uh, daily fantasy sports. And in the moment sports betting was turned on, they were able to move. They were able to go get licenses and market to their existing uh, customer base. And to a certain degree, they were able to move faster than existing land-based companies. Uh, and so what you're looking for is you're looking for companies that are going to provide some sort of added value, uh, because that first mover advantage is gone. And so betting on someone that's actually offering sports betting is really hard. So investing in that sort of thing, but think about the experience around it, whether it's data insights, whether it's through marketing, whether it's through, uh, you know, aggregation of odds, whatever it is, you're looking for, you're looking for someone that's doing something different, something unique. Uh, to me, you don't want to be investing in the folks that are actually doing the offers, doing the wagering platforms, because there's plenty out there. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a tough market to break into. Almost every state has a limited number of licenses. Uh, and because it's such a low margin business, uh, you know, it, it, it makes it tough. But people that make games, well, that's more interesting because let's leave sports betting aside, uh, you know, game providers. Uh, so there was an old saying in the casino businesses. I mean, uh, when we're dealing with land-based uh, uh, casinos, you know, it's like, yeah, there's casino money and then there's supplier money. Uh, mm. And supplier money was a lot bigger than casino money. So just think about it. Think about as much money as the casino makes, the suppliers like IGT and Scientific Gaming and Ballets and all those guys, they were making more money because they were supplying the games. Uh, and they made more money supplying the games than the, than the actual casinos. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, it, it, it's different. So when you think about investing in the casino space, uh, whether it's online, whether it's land-based, look for places where that have higher value uh, than the actual operators. Uh, and so that can mean the game suppliers, it can be uh, in the, I, I mean, I call it plumbing. Uh, you, you can call it pick and shovels. Uh, uh, what, what, whatever that play is, it's, you know, is it an e-wallet? Is, uh, is it a data provider? Is it the people that are handling geolocation? 
uh, for example, uh, wh whatever it is, the components that go into making uh, something succeed, to that there's a lot more value there than there is in actually investing in a casino company or a sports betting operation right now. Got it. Well, one last thing here. Uh, you know, we like to provide value to all of our listeners and customers. A land-based recommendation here. Uh, if you're going to Vegas, what is the best casino that you have to stay at? Oh, that you have to stay at. Um, well, the best new sports book out there is at Circa. Uh, it is three stories high. Uh, and it's insanely good. Uh, I, I, I went there about a month ago or a couple months ago. I mean, it, it's, it's a fantastic experience. It also has the longest bar in the world. Uh, and they've got bartenders doing tricks behind the bar. And when I say tricks, I mean like the cocktail Tom Cruise shaking the cocktails together and throwing them up in the air and you know filling it up while it goes down and that sort of thing. So uh, that that part is a lot of fun. Uh, my favorite casino to stay at is usually the Win. Uh, you can't beat that in just in terms of uh, quality of of, of service uh, and that sort of thing. And Resorts World just opened up. Uh, the food choices at Resorts World are out of this world. The best food casino prior to Resorts World opening up was Cosmopolitan in my mind. And it looks like Resort, Resorts World just is, is killing it from a food standpoint. So that's brand new on, on, in, in Vegas right now. So those are some places uh, worth, worth checking out. Excellent. Well, you heard it here first. We got a great, interesting stock pick in, in the gambling space. We got an awesome recommendation on land-based casinos to stay at. We'll put them in the show notes. Vin, thank you so much for your time today. This has been really great. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. All right. Have a wonderful day. Take care, everyone. Bye now.